been from Exodus 20. Once you say Exodus 20, you should know what it's about. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is in your neighbours. May the Lord bless to us that reading from his word. Matthew 5, 17-20 Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until, it is all, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then go over to Psalm 119, and thankfully it's not the whole of it. That's from verse 169 to 176. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. 
Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not, for I do not forget your commandments. Amen. As I mentioned uh, earlier, this uh, is the first in a series of messages uh, about the Ten Commandments, or about the Law of the Lord, and this is an introductory message. Um, It was going to be a lot longer than what it is, um, and so there will actually be a second introductory message next time. It'll be based around that passage that Kay read from Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, so if you want to have a look at that during the month before we're back, Lord willing, um, it'll be about that section where Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfil them. And we're going to explore what that means and what that, may, what that means about the way we approach the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Sometimes I'll use the word decalogue. Uh, that's just a word that sometimes people use to say Ten Commandments, decalogue. Sort of a bit shorter. Um, it simply means ten words. Um, so that's a reference to the Ten Commandments. <coughs> well, whenever we think about God's law, it's important to hear what Jesus said about it. And what Jesus says about God's law in Matthew's Gospel is uh, found in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. You remember the case of the um, rich young ruler that came to Jesus? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked. And um, I beg your pardon, it's not the rich young ruler, this is the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's a similar situation though. A lawyer, one of them, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the word in the original language there is a word that can equally well be translated hang. And I was thinking about that and I said, how can I illustrate that for the congregation? And I thought, remember we used to have mobiles back in the day? Not the ones we put in our pocket, but the ones that hang up, you know, the things hanging off them. And I thought of that and I thought, well, maybe I can do an illustration of a mobile. So... I've got to work in my shed with some bits and pieces and uh, came up with this very imaginative and complicated uh, picture of what it means that God's law can be summarised in terms of loving God and loving our neighbour or loving others. And uh, then I thought, well, what does he mean that from these two commandments hang or depend all the law and the prophets? And I thought, well, I can illustrate that by putting, first of all, the, the first four commandments, which are about loving God. I hope this works. And then the second two commandments, which are about loving others, or loving our neighbours. So there's my mobile for today. Uh, love God, love others, and from those two commandments are hanging or suspended all of God's law. Now, um, okay, you could say, well, 
there's more to God's law than the Ten Commandments. And I thought, yeah, that's sure, but this is just an illustration to get us started on thinking about the Ten Commandments. That when we look at the Ten, they can be summed up as love God, love others. And that's what Jesus taught when he said nothing will pass from the law until all is fulfilled, till heaven and earth pass away. So there we go. Okay. But what does it mean to love someone or something? I think one way to describe it is it's to take delight in that person or thing. It might be another person, a marriage partner, to a child, a parent, a girlfriend, boyfriend, um, some other person that we, we love for who they are. Um, but it can also be something like a, a work of art. Oh, I, I love that picture by Monet or Rembrandt. I really love it. In other words, I take delight in it. It's something that delights me when I, when I look at it and think about it and enter into it. Some beautiful scenery, such as you have much of around this area of the world, in Foster, Tankari. Um, beautiful places to look at and sort of say, wow, isn't God great, the way he's made this for our pleasure, to take delight in. And I really love that location, I really love that view, we might say. Well, there are many things in which our souls take delight. And... Listen to the testimony of the psalmist in that passage that was read for us from Psalm 119, verse 174, where the psalmist says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Your law is my delight. And we think, yeah, law, delight? He loved the law of the Lord. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Another psalm says. Psalm 1 that we sang concerning the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, unless you think that's just an Old Testament aberration and a strange thing, you get it in the New Testament too. 1 John 5 verse 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. To love God is to keep his commands and therefore to love them. Contrast the attitude of those who don't love God. In Romans 8, 7, the mind governed by the flesh, that is the fallen sinful nature, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. So it is antagonistic to God's law, whereas those who love God love his law. And our attitude then to the law of the Lord reflects our attitude to God himself. That's what the scripture is teaching us. If you reject God's law as a principle, you know, I don't want anything to do with rules and regulations or do's and don'ts, we're really rejecting God who gives us those things and we'll explore that a bit more shortly. Maybe you're somebody who says the most important thing is to love the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour and my God. And certainly that is top of the list. That's really important, to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does he say? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'd like to start there as we think together about the Decalogue, about the, the laws of the Lord or the law of the Lord, 
to start with thinking about it as being an expression or our adherence to it being an expression of love for the Lord himself. Because often the commandments are reduced to a set of rules and regulations. You know, don't do this, do do that. And the Christian life can be seen to be a kind of just a moralistic thing, you know, legalistic even, just keeping commandments, avoiding that and doing the other and at least fulfilling as best we can those regulations or things that God has given us uh, to follow. But we should never think about God's law apart from the one who gives it to us, who stands behind and says, here is my law for you. It's the God who is love who gives us his law. Love and law are not opposites. They are together, as Jesus said. You know, Love God, love your neighbour sums up the commandments. Professor Macmillan, uh, Douglas Macmillan said, the law reflects the nature and character of God as surely as does the gospel. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Because often we want to divide the law and the gospel apart from each other, as saying that never the twain shall meet. But Jesus, or uh, Macmillan, and I think reflecting the Bible, says no, you can't do that. Both the law and the gospel reflect or embody or show forth or picture the love of God. Again, we'll, we'll, move in, we'll get into this a little bit more today and more as we move along. There's another aspect of this. Not only does the love of God call us to obey him, yet also when we do obey him, we seek to follow his commandments and do his will, that it will increase our love for him. You might say, that's, okay, prove it. (laughs) Well, you love that in which you willingly invest your time and effort. Isn't that true? You know, I love collecting stamps and so when I put time and effort into it, it actually increases my love. Even though, as the old Chinese saying says, philately will get you nowhere. Um, Philately being the technical name for stamp collecting. The point is, what you invest your effort and time and interest in, that will grow your love for that thing. It becomes a self-feeding spiral sort of a thing. So that loving God in practice, putting into practice what his law means for us, will increase our love for the one who holds out his his law to us and says, show me that you love me. The opposite is of course true. That if you know that God would have you do this and you do the opposite, what's that going to do for your love for God? It's going to corrode it and, and wear it away. Well, the question that we need to ask, I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself, is how invested am I then in God, in his glory, his will, his kingdom, we sang about his kingdom just before, his purposes, how invested am I in that? How much do I, time do I give, how much effort from my time, from my treasure, from my talents? Well, out of his amazing grace, God reveals to us his will. He doesn't just uh, save us from our sins through trusting in Jesus and then say, off you go, you're going to make it up as you go along. He says, no, no, here are some guidelines. This is the way you should live if you want to have the best life and if you want to please me. 
And as John Blanchard has said, God forbids sin not to prevent us from enjoying ourselves, but to prevent us from destroying ourselves. Because God's way is the best way. And we will benefit and be blessed as we seek to follow him, and insofar as we do. God wants you and me to love him. And that means to love his law. And he wants us to be growing and increasing and developing in our love for him and therefore for his ways. He wants his law then to be our delight as we read in the, in the psalm there that his delight is in the law of the Lord. Love and law are not opposites. They complement each other. And what God has joined together let no man separate. Our Creator's law. What is this law of which I'm speaking, which the Bible speaks? Well, that's um, an easy question to ask, but the answer is a little bit complicated, but I'm going to break it down. We'll look at one aspect this week, and next time look in a bit more detail at the second aspect. But the first aspect is, is this. In, in the back, back in the beginning, when God made the world, he created it very good. You remember that at the end of Genesis 1. God saw all that he'd made, and behold, it was very good. And not only did he provide an ordered and beautiful creation for mankind to enjoy, he also provided order for man's moral life as well, because he created us as moral creatures, creatures that... Uh, could do right or wrong and if they did right they would benefit from it and if they did wrong the opposite would be the case and so God gave us humanity his maker's instructions now his laws are not arbitrary as uh, we've seen already his laws are a reflection of his nature and God's laws and <coughs> those laws Okay, we can speak of God. God is this, um, he, he's this wonderful being. I almost said creature. That would have been heresy, wouldn't it? He's this wonderful being who exists from all eternity as Father, Son and Holy Spirit in a unity of love. And his very nature embodies what is right and what is true and what is good. But then when he creates a world, he wants to see that reflected in his world. He wants his glory, his beauty of his moral purity to be reflected in his creatures and in the world he's made. So he made man in his own image, kind of like a picture of, uh, of God, and he endowed him and gave him his law, showed him how he should live in order to reflect as an image something of God's perfect character. And long before God's law was written in stone at Mount Sinai, in the Ten Commandments that Trevor read earlier, long before that, God's law was written upon the heart of his creatures, on Adam's heart. And that's why all people still possess a moral sense. And why all cultures agree pretty much on a set of things that are right and wrong. It's because God planted that they're right at the beginning. Now, why do I say, one reason I say that is because of what we read in Romans chapter 2. And here in this passage, 
the Apostle Paul is talking about the problem of sin and how everybody is under condemnation for sin not just those who had the Ten Commandments but also the rest of humanity how could the rest of humanity be under condemnation for sin if they didn't have the commandments is a good question Paul answers that question here in Romans 2, 14-16 he says for when the Gentiles that is those who don't have the law of God in the commandments when they although sorry study and when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires do by nature what the law requires they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law they show and here's the important verse they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We could say, for example, that on that day of judgment when the heart of every person will be exposed and the secret thoughts of our hearts and the intentions of our minds when those things are exposed for judgment, nobody will be able to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't realise that I was supposed to love my Creator with all my heart, soul, strength and mind. That I was supposed to love my neighbour or other people uh, as myself. I didn't know. Yes, you did. How? Because God had written it upon your heart. It was there, but you suppressed it you held it down, you tried to cover it up, you tried to make lots of noise so you couldn't hear it talking to you, but you knew it was there, despite your efforts to shut it up. And judgment will be conducted on the basis of that fact that we all knew, let alone we who had the commandments, those who had the commandments in times past, but even those who had no knowledge of God's law in the Bible, will be judged according to what their consciences have told them during their lives. All that will be replayed and judgment will follow. Adam, in the beginning, delighted in this law of God written upon his heart and the law that was given him, because he was given a command, wasn't he, not to eat certain trees but to eat others and so on. Adam delighted in those things because he knew they were the Creator's will and they knew that they were for his good. There weren't an imposition on his autonomy or his freedom. Now these things are confirmed in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Bible describes as the last Adam. Now there are two representative human beings. There's Adam, in which we are all born, and that's why we die, we're dead in sin, even as, as we're born or conceived. And then there is the, the last Adam, the second man, Jesus Christ. And for those who are transferred from one domain into the other, those who are in Christ, no longer any condemnation. But those who are in fallen Adam, rebelling against God, condemnation continues unless and until they are transferred from the kingdom of the evil one to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him, through God's sovereign work. 
we won't digress onto that just at the moment. But the Lord Jesus revealed in human form as the last Adam, the second man, what it means to live as a, an authentic human being created in God's image, for he was both God and man, fully human, perfect human. In the New Testament, Psalm 40 is sometimes applied to Jesus, for example, in the letter to the Hebrews. And in verse 8 of Psalm 40, we read this, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. And didn't Jesus, as the record we have it in the Gospels, didn't Jesus always say that? Didn't he always seek to do the will of God? Didn't he always seek to please his Father in heaven, to carry out what the Father in, his Father in heaven desired him to do? Well, yet the answer is obvious. Yes, of course he did. Why? Because he loved the Lord his God, his Father. He kept perfectly the law of God. Not in the spirit of, oh, I've got to do this, but in the spirit of gratitude and love and a concern for the glory of God. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done, he prayed in the garden. He was willingly and lovingly submissive to the Father in heaven. And to the Jewish experts, who were always trying to find something wrong in what he was saying or doing, he said to them, which one of you convicts me of sin? And they all stood stum, couldn't say anything. Oh, they were picky about, you know, whether you could grind up wheat in your palms of your hands on a Sabbath day, but, you know, nobody seriously accused Jesus of sin. And if they did, they couldn't make it stick. Jesus showed what man was created to be, delighting in God, loving to obey him and serve him. Well, what form does God's law take today? Well, we've talked about the law written on our hearts, whereby we know that it's wrong to kill other people, we know it's wrong to steal their property, we know it's wrong to commit adultery with their spouse or, and other things, all of those things we know um, from our conscience, if not from the law of the Lord, we know it from there as well. <clears throat> but the law of God, like the Bible itself, is progressively revealed. And there, is an er there are earlier stages of the revelation of God in his covenant and there are later stages. We now live in the time of the new covenant and we're going to explore what that means for this whole issue of what is the law of God. I'm not going to do it today. But let me give you a foretaste of what we'll be considering in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 20 to 21. Now, the Apostle Paul was defending his ministry and he's saying that although he is not subject to the law of Moses, okay, the law of Moses, which is all the regulations and commandments of you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy um, and Genesis, I suppose, but he was not subject to that. He said he's not under the law of Moses but what does he say he is under? 1 Corinthians 9, 20-21 To the Jews then I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So okay, he was happy to conform to Jewish traditions so that his lack of conformity wouldn't pose a stumbling block to uh, the Jewish people. They, he, they need to hear the gospel. 
And if they were picking him up because he didn't do this or didn't do the other small thing, that's no big deal. He said, I'm happy just to conform to that. If they don't make it a condition of salvation, I'll just happily go along. Because the most important thing is to preach Christ to them and not to um, argue about minutiae of the law. Let me pick up the reading again. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might, might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. <coughs> what law is he under? Not the law of Moses, says Paul, quite clearly, but the law of Christ. Well, what's that? Again, you might like to think about that, because I'm not going to uh, go into that just now. That's for next time. What is the law of Christ? Well, it's the law in which you and I, as new covenant people, living in this era of God's revelation, post-resurrection of Jesus, it's the law that we're to delight in, that we're to embrace, that we're to honour and seek to obey. The law of Christ. What's that though? I'll leave that hanging like a mobile. (laughs) And please think about it. What's your answer to that question? What is the law of Christ that applies to us and to me as a Christian in this new covenant time? How does that relate to the Ten Commandments then? How we, what have you, these are the things that we need to look at and you can see why I split this into two services of sermons. Okay, second point and last point, loving God in Christ. On the night of his betrayal, Peter, you remember, mingled with those uh, warming themselves around a fire as Jesus was being arraigned before the authorities. Several people recognised him. And they said to him, hey, you you were with this guy, were you? You were with Jesus. You remember what Peter did? Three times? Never seen him before. Don't know him. No, that's not me. You're thinking of somebody else. No, no, no. And then the, uh, the cock crowed three times. And Peter went away and wept. After Jesus rose from the dead... He confronted Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. Three times he betrayed Jesus with his speech. Three times Jesus got him to confess, Lord, of course I love you. And Jesus, in each time, gave him a command. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Instead of telling lies, like you did on the night of my betrayal, feed my people with truth. That's what Jesus is saying to him. And this same Peter wrote in his first letter these words regarding Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory inexpressible joy filled with glory. Wow, that sounds like delight to me. Doesn't it sound like delight to you? What do you find when you check your heart when it comes to the Lord Jesus? Is there a real love for God's Son who came to save us rebel sinners? 
Do I love the Lord Jesus? And if I say I do, what does it look like in my life? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The law of Christ, which we'll come back to. So, do you love Jesus? There's the basic question. Not do you love rules and regulations or order and stuff like that, but do you love him? The glorious, living, reigning, returning Jesus. That's the challenge for you and me. And the next question is, if I do love him, or if I do say I love him, then how can I please him? How can I honour him? How can I do that which is good in his sight? Am I keen to know his will in my heart and then to practice it? I think we should echo the prayer of the Apostle Paul who prayed concerning the people in Colossae. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Please him in every way. Do we live to please Jesus? Many of us like to please other people and it's right and good to please others with that which is good, but do we have a desire to please Jesus in the way we live? Please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1. Well, to conclude with this point just quickly some practical exhortations what if you find having listened to what I've been trying to say this morning you find that there's really no spark of desire for God no hungering and thirsting for righteousness then dear friend examine your attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ that's fundamental have you really acknowledged your sin have you recognised that you are worthy of judgement for those sins and that sin? Have you fled and turned over your life to Jesus to save you, to deliver you, to rescue you and bring you into his new creation? Maybe you're somebody who's backslidden. Maybe once you used to profess to be a Christian but you kind of let it go and drifted away from it fallen away from God and maybe you think he'll never have me back wrong wrong he will remember the prodigal son remember how the father ran down the road to greet his returning son the returning son who demanded that which was not his right half of the possessions who'd squandered all that in riotous and loose living in a foreign country ended up working among pigs the father runs down the road there will be more joy in the presence of the angels of God for every sinner who repents there is hope for us backslidden Christians never think this, it's too late come back to Jesus confess your sins Lord I believe, help my unbelief he will never reject such a person never Come to me, he says, and he means it. 
Well, maybe you're a sincere Christian believer. You want to do what pleases God, but you find there's a deficit in your heart of a deep desire for him and a delight for him, a lack of a hungering and thirsting for him and righteousness. Well, if you've got concern about that, be thankful. There are many people walking around who have no concern whatsoever if that's the situation of their heart. But the fact that you are thinking, oh boy, I wish I had that then that's really hopeful. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Starting work in your heart. Pray for that to increase. Give me, O Lord, that delight in yourself that's lacking in my heart. That delight that the psalmist had. Meditate on those scriptures that set forth the love of God as it's revealed in Jesus. That wonderful, forgiving, saving love. That patient love revealed in Old Testament and New and bask in that love. Practice what you learn about what you should do in response to that love. Whatever it may be, it could be different for every one of us. But practice it. Put it into practice. Do it. Or stop doing it, wherever it may be. Don't grieve or stifle the Holy Spirit by disobedience, by willful ignoring of what God wants you to do because that's you know, the Bible warns us against stifling or grieving the spirit you don't want that because it's he who helps us to be the people God wants us to be choose a particular practical matter in your life that needs attention that the Lord lays on your heart then deal with that before the Lord confess your sins in respect of it pray for the strength to do what you need to do or stop doing what you shouldn't do whatever it is and having done so, then move on to the next thing that the Lord lays on your conscience and practice that as well. Practice that righteousness. And as you gain victory in one area, you'll receive encouragement from God to press on and to seek victory in more areas and to please the Lord Jesus. Well, I conclude with these words. God made us to delight in him and he gave us his law for our good to reveal his character and to guide us. But sadly, at the very beginning, we thought we knew better, the human race, in Adam, and rejected it. God didn't leave us to the consequences of that, though, which is hell, but sent his own son. Galatians 4 5. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Brothers and sisters, as we meditate on God's law day and night, let us prayerfully depend on the Spirit And as we do, practice that perfect law of the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And our love for him will grow, and as we do that will, in a desire to please him, he will be glorified and good will be spread around us. Love God, love others. To conclude, two verses. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 57. And then Psalm 119, 174. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, give us that desire to know you better. 
not to rest in where we have come to, but rather to press on to greater and deeper things, forsaking that which lies behind and pressing on. May that be what characterises each of us in our Christian walk and life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us more and more to delight in your, your Son, the Son of God, the Saviour of sinners, and in the Spirit and in the Father. And we pray, help us then to translate that delight in you into a delight in your ways for us. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.